Good morning, church, and welcome to service. Uh, we are so glad you're here. And if you're joining us online in our interactive service, we just encourage you to be a part of the chat, whether it's just raising a quick hallelujah or saying hi to someone that you see on the chat. That's just one way that we can continue to connect with you. Yeah, and we would just encourage you as well to get connected with your local church in whatever capacity that would be. And if that does happen to be us, uh, there's a quick and easy way you can do that by just texting MRCC to 940 Zero, zero, zero. Or there is a button uh, in your chat for this online service that you can click as well to get connected. Yeah, and there's another way we can connect with you guys. It's in person. We're having services still at 8, 9.30, and 11 in the building, including Kids Church, so go ahead and bring your kids. Um, but we are still also having the online interactive services at 8, 9.30, and 11. So we encourage you to just join us in whatever way you feel comfortable. Yeah, it's so good that we can do both of those things just to, to meet uh, yeah. so many different people, and it's been so good just to meet back together again. One of the other things that we're really happy to be doing again is uh, just preparing our hearts for communion, which we're going to receive this morning. Uh, why don't you, if you can, find something around your house, uh, prepare yourselves to accept that, maybe crackers, some juice. Um, we're going to be taking communion during worship this morning. So uh, prepare your hearts and your elements for that. Yeah, and if you guys want to, we could also, in the chat, go ahead and say what elements you're using for communion. Uh, it'd be interesting to see what you guys have and what you guys decided to use. For so sure. that being said, let's worship together. Good morning, church. Welcome to Online Church today, MRCC. We are so glad you are here joining us, gathering together from our individual homes to lift up glory to our amazing God. Well, hey, let's celebrate all the amazing things that he has done, the things that he is doing and the things that are to come. Let's gather together and lift up one cry of praise. Father, we worship you for who you are. Let us come before you in your presence, in your goodness, to celebrate your grace. You are most worthy of our praise. Let us worship him, church.
time again He's proven He's faithful How faithful you are, God Yes, He's moving Let us trust that is. Yes, God, how great your love is We know that you are at work Even now our God is moving We worship you this God, he's pursuing us over every burden, every obstacle, he's pursuing us. It's the measure of your love, Lord. We sing. Before I spoke a word, you were singing over me. You have been so, so good to me. Let's not forget. Before I took a breath, you breathed your life in me. You have been so, so kind to me. Come on.
we sing of is poured out on the cross put on display for all to see Jesus the power of your love we recognize that day everything changed sin was washed away death was washed away we sing of that day we remember yes I hear the Savior say, my strength indeed is small, child of weakness, watch and pray, find in me thine all in all. Let's not forget that Jesus paid it all, all to him I owe. Had left a crimson stain, he washed it white as snow. Yes. It's how powerful you love his Lord. Lord, now indeed I find thy power and thine alone can change the leper's Worthy, who raised up to life and gave 
sing that chorus together again, church. Jesus paid it all, all to him I owe. Sin had left a crimson stain, he washed it white as Just one more time together. It's Jesus paid it all, all to him I owe. Sin had left a crimson stain, he washed it white as snow. Yes, he did. And Father, we thank you. That is the power of your love, this reckless love, this dangerous love, that you would dive headfirst into trouble, headfirst into death, and change it from the inside out so that we could be changed from the inside out through Jesus. What a Savior most worthy of praise. And so as a church, as a family together, we get to reflect on that sacrifice that was made on our behalf. Church, at this time, let us participate in Holy Communion together. Using those elements that you gathered earlier, would you go ahead and prepare those today as we partake in Communion? On the night he was betrayed, Jesus took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Let us partake in the bread together, church. Father, we thank you for the sacrifice. We recognize the pain that was endured, the body that was broken on behalf of our sin. You took it all upon yourself, Jesus. We remember that. We thank you for the pain that was endured on our behalf. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. Let us drink from the cup together, church. Lord, we thank you and we recognize the blood that flowed down Calvary the blood that washes white as snow, our sin. And with this new covenant, we are given a new life, free from death, with blessed assurance in Jesus. What a thing to celebrate. What a thing to praise you for. We recognize the impact of the blood, and we thank you. And then it says, for whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Church, this is why we gather. This is why we're doing what we're doing right now, gathering together, worshiping our Lord Jesus, recognizing the sacrifice, the new life, and the promise found in Jesus. He is the one most worthy of our praise, this blessed Savior. This is a wonderful time we can come together and worship, and we thank you for joining us today and worshiping with our Savior in the midst of his presence. Lord, we worship you in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you, church, for joining us. We are passing it on to Pastor Greg to bring you today's message. Hmm. Jesus paid it all. All to him I owe. Sin had left a crimson stain, but he's washed it white as snow. Church, that's the gospel. That's what we together celebrate. 
And that's the last word about everything we face here on earth. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for saving us. We praise you today, this afternoon, this morning, this evening, whatever it is where you are. We thank you, Lord, for what you have done for us. Church, it is great to be with you again, to gather again and experience what only happens when we come together. It happens when we come together virtually, just like it happens when we come together in purpose. I'm glad that you could carve out time to, to come aside and worship God, learn from Him. Uh, that is how He blesses us. So welcome, welcome. I hope you were able to participate in communion with us. You know what? If you were caught off guard somehow at home or wherever you are and weren't able to participate in communion, can I just invite you maybe to, to listen to that worship set again later, another time after you've prepared and then receive communion? God will touch you if you do. That's why Jesus gave us that ordinance. It's incredibly significant. But welcome, welcome. Uh, let's take some time together to open God's Word. Uh, I want to invite you to turn to Luke chapter 6 this morning, Luke's Gospel chapter 6, towards the end of the chapter, verses 46 and following. And let's, let's listen to Jesus together. Let's listen to His Spirit teach us together for the next 20, 25 minutes. And let me begin by, by asking you a question. Do you have any, any really scary moments in your life? You know, those moments that leave you with that kind of trembling, shaky movement all over? Probably like many of you, I've had that happen in the car. I remember one time I was driving uh, on a late night. I'd refereed a basketball game. I was very tired. It was northern Idaho. It was dark. And, and I got a little drowsy and I, I drifted. Uh, I sort of lost it for a moment and, and snapped awake and found that I was in the wrong lane with cars coming towards me on a narrow Idaho highway. I'll never forget that and the feeling and that jerking back and uh, thanking God for, for dodging a bullet there. I think of another time when I worked in the emergency room and, and we had a, a serious accident that night uh, that, that we were treating and, and one particular patient came in with a backboard and a cervical collar because there was fear that he had damaged his spine and, and one doctor came in and looked at the x-rays after they were done and said, oh, he's good. Unhook him from the board, take the collar off, there's no damage. And I was just in the beginning process of doing just that when another doctor came in, looked at the x-rays and said, stop, what are you doing? <laughs> and lo and behold, that man had a, a fracture in his cervical spine way up high, several vertebrae that the first doctor had missed and literally sitting him up could have killed him. I remember that moment, I'll never forget it. I remember the one time I almost told my wife no and how terrifying that was. But seriously, do you have some scary moments in your life? You know, probably the scariest moment in my life happened one afternoon at Grandma and Grandpa's house. Rhonda and I had a newborn Isaiah. He was maybe two months old and we were taking him to see them for the first time. We parked out in front of their house and as we were getting out of the car, 
I had Isaiah kind of in the crook of my arm, you know how you carry a, a baby, and I was grabbing all that stuff you have to carry around with a baby, the diaper bags and this, that, and the other thing, and as I was taking that stuff out of the car, uh, Isaiah just, just jerked in a way that I didn't anticipate, and he went from, from sitting right here in my arm, leaning against my shoulder, to pitching backwards, kind of like fumbling a football. And he was, in an instant, falling straight down, head first towards the curb. The moment's vivid in my memory. And somehow, without thinking, without, you know, knowing really what I was doing, probably being helped by the Spirit of God, I snapped, dropped everything, grabbed him by the feet, and I caught him with his head just an inch or two from hitting that curb. And I pulled him back up, and he was safe, and I got that all over, shaky, trembling feeling. But what I remember about that moment was that the way I reacted was something I had actually learned over time playing a lot of basketball. Sometimes when you're playing basketball, there'll be this really hot, fast pass that comes to the interior in a tangle of bodies, and you just got to reach out and catch it while doing something else and, and, and sort of gliding into the next motion. And, and after you've done that a number of times, it becomes natural. You just do it without really thinking about it. And I was never more thankful for all the hours I had spent playing basketball than in that moment that I caught Isaiah. I share that story with you because I had no idea that a skill like that could mean so much. But on that day, it meant everything. Now, I'll never forget it, and I'll always be thankful that I had that skill. In the same way, church, our Father God wants to build skills in you that will mean everything someday. I like to talk about growing up in God as a process of getting to know Him first as Savior and then as Lord and then as Father and then as friend to kind of picture what it looks like to grow up as a follower of Jesus Christ. Today, the Holy Spirit wants to teach us about knowing Him as Lord, about experiencing Him as Lord and how significant that is can and will be. I invited you to turn to Luke chapter 6, verses 46 and following, and, and let's listen to Jesus finish what, what we know as the Sermon on the Mount. He, he has been teaching people about what it means to live in the kingdom of God in the preceding chapters, and here at the end of that lesson, he offers kind of a, a final lesson. Luke chapter 6, beginning with verse 46, and Jesus says this, he says, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do what I say? As for everyone who comes to me and hears my words and puts them into practice, I will show you what such people are like. They're like a man building a house who dug down deep and laid the foundation on rock. When a flood came, the torrent struck that house, but could not shake it, because it was so well built. But the one who hears my words and does not put them into practice is like a man who built a house on the ground without a foundation. And the moment the torrent struck that house, it collapsed 
and his destruction was complete. Again, Jesus said that in the wake of the Sermon on the Mount where he taught us how to, how to serve, how to love our enemies, how to steer away from the, the life-controlling power of sin in a lot of different ways, how to love God, how to love one another. And then he says at the end, don't just listen to me, please. He says, take what I've said and put it into practice. Very significant word. Let's reflect on this together for a moment. And, and let me invite you to notice, first of all, who Jesus is addressing. He's addressing people who call him Lord, Lord. He's not addressing people who don't. <laughs> he says, why uh, do you call me Lord, Lord and do not do what I say? His target audience is those of us who do call him Lord. And he's not asking us, notice, this is important. He's not asking us to listen more. He's inviting us to turn our listening into practice. Two very different things. One flows from the other, but one without the other is useless. And, and let me encourage you also to realize, friends, what Jesus is feeling when he says this. He is not uh, elevating a standard and making a demand of us. He is speaking with the heart of a father on our behalf. You can almost hear the plaintiveness in what he's saying here as he, he calls us to do what will be good for us because he loves us so much. And notice the central assumption in the story, and that is that a flood is coming, a torrent is coming. Matthew calls it storms. Jesus is saying that they are inevitable. In all of our lives, they will come. Maybe they've come in your life in the past. Know this, they will probably come again. Maybe you haven't experienced them yet. Jesus says, you will. Stuff will get tough. And he says, I want to show you how to be ready for that when it happens. You know, the reality when it comes to storms and floods in this sense is, is that we've all experienced them, storms, in, in a good way before. You know, when you're prepared for a storm, you enjoy it. I think of earlier this spring when we had just a, a mega thunder and lightning storm here in, on the plateau and in western Washington. Something like 8,000 lightning strikes. Knowing that it was coming though, most of us were kind of prepared and we watched it and we oohed and we awed. We sent each other pictures and recordings and we said, wow, isn't this amazing? Why? Because we were prepared for it. I think of when I was on a missions trip in Jamaica many years ago at the time when Hurricane Katrina struck. And, and when we landed, they told us, first of all, that it looked like the hurricane was going to strike the island that we were on. And suddenly we were all concerned about getting ready for it. But then after about half a day went by, they came back and told us, no, it's actually going to miss the island. But it's going to miss so close that you can actually watch it. And we climbed up on a hilltop uh, and then on the roof of a hotel and sat together with a group of people. And we watched Hurricane Katrina go by. It's a spectacle I'll never forget. And it was amazing. When you're prepared for a storm, you can actually enjoy it, in a sense. And Jesus is talking about being able to do something like that with the floods and the torrents, the storms that come into our lives. It's important to grasp this. You know, as modern people, church, we live in what I call bubbles. We are insulated from a lot of realities. When it's cold outside, 
We barely feel it because we have, uh, you know, the, the warmth of our houses and heaters and coats. And when it's dark, we can make as much light as we want. We can even create little lights whenever there's darkness. We have a night light on our stairwell in our house. And every time I have to go up and down in the middle of the night, I'm thankful for it because I can see. Uh, I live in a bubble insulated in a sense from reality. Our food, it magically appears in local supermarkets, sort of like Star Trek when you think about it. We don't plant it, most of us. We don't tend it, we don't harvest it, we don't hunt it, we don't kill it for the most part. But it comes to us in our bubble. Our water is instantly hot and cold. I go on and on. But when we live in a bubble like this, it's easy to lose touch with reality. In this story, Jesus is saying, hey, Greg, storms are coming. Let me help you get ready. They're real. Your bubble isn't. You know, the truth is that our bubbles are created by preparation. You know, the reason that we don't fear the storm is that somebody has arranged for our house to have water and power and heat and electricity. We're safe from the cold and thirst because someone prepared. In the same way, Jesus seeks to, seeks to prepare us. That's what he's talking about here. What would you think if your neighbor had a hole in their roof and you pointed it out and they said, hey, don't worry, it's not raining. You'd say, hey, bro, it's going to. <laughs> it's only a matter of time. And Jesus is saying something like that in this moment. You heard the old story of Sherlock Holmes and, and Watson going camping together and in the middle of the night, they wake up and Holmes says, Watson, look up and tell me what you see. Watson, lying in his sleeping bag, says, I see millions of stars. Holmes says, what does that tell you? Watson says, well, astronomically, it tells me there's millions of galaxies. Astrologically, it tells me that Saturn is in Leo. By the position of the moon, I can see that it's about 3 a.m. Meteorologically, it looks like we're going to have a beautiful day tomorrow. Theologically, I can, t I can tell that God is a great creator. Why, Holmes? What does it tell you? And Holmes was quiet for a moment, and then he said, Watson, you idiot, somebody has stolen our tent. <laughs> like Watson, we can listen but miss the point. And sometimes we do. And Jesus is addressing that tendency. Notice, church, what our Lord says in this passage. He is not saying that listening to him will prevent storms. Many immature believers assume that living life God's way will prevent the storms from ever happening. But Jesus explicitly does not say that. The winds blow and beat against every house in the story. There's no flood-free, no storm-free houses. The only question is whether your house, and the house stands for your heart and mind, your soul, your spirit, the inside of you, the only question is whether your house will survive the storm. To put it another way, Jesus' teaching here is not a magic formula to avoid tragedy or adversity, but the way to overcome them. The Lord was pointed about this in John chapter 16, verse 33. He said, I have told you these things so that you may have peace, because in this world you will have trouble. But take heart, I have overcome the world. And here in this passage, he's saying, and I can show you how to overcome it as well. If you will take your listening and turn it into practicing. You know, the Bible speaks a lot about this. Over in James chapter 1, verse 22, the scripture says, Greg, don't merely listen to the word and so deceive yourself, but do what it says. Let your listening become 
practicing. So let's talk a little bit about what it means to practice. Look at verse 47 again. Whoever hears my words and puts them into practice. There's a difference between hearing and practicing. You can listen to someone without ever really hearing them at all if you don't practice what you're hearing. A few weeks ago, when I injured my knee, some of you know I'm getting ready for my sixth knee surgery. I guess I'm trying to set a Guinness Book of World Records. But when I injured my knee and I got home from the hiking trip where that happened, Rhonda kept saying to me on the drive home, we, we, we need to ice it. We got to ice it. And I said, yeah, you're right. We do. As soon as we get home, we need to ice it. But when I got home and sat down in my chair, I thought to myself, the fridge is clear over there and I'm comfortable. And so I didn't ice it. She even said to me, honey, I'll go get the ice for you. But I said, no, 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 I'll do it. I'll do it. I hear you. Yes, we need to do it. But I didn't. <laughs> I sat there in my chair, comfortable, and my knee swelled up as big as a basketball. For a smart guy, I can be pretty dumb. Why? Well, I know how to listen. But sometimes I don't turn my listening into practicing. Let me challenge you as my fellow believer. Have you been listening to Jesus without practicing what he says? Lots of people do. And, and the sad tragedy of that is that, that, that when you listen to him without practicing what he says, you can trick yourself into thinking you understand what he's saying when you really don't. Jesus put it this way in Luke chapter 8, verse 18. He said, consider carefully how you listen. For whoever has will be given more. Whoever does not have, even what he thinks he has, will be taken from him. In other words, like James was saying earlier, you will deceive yourself. Now, notice, church, again, the distinction in the story is not between those who hear and those who don't hear, but between two groups of people who do hear. <laughs> Sometimes we think the difference between people is that some listen to Jesus and some don't. But the difference in Jesus' story is that some listen and do what he says and practice what he says, while others don't. I've observed in, in 33 years as a pastor that oftentimes believers have a tendency to substitute listening for doing. We say, I just need to read my Bible more. Well, sometimes you need to read it less and then do something about it. That's where the transformation comes. And that's what Jesus is talking about. And again, Jesus doesn't say, do what I say once, and then you're good. He says, turn these things I'm telling you into a lifestyle. Practice them. You know what practice is? My coach taught me this many, many years ago in high school. He said, practice is repeated failure in the pursuit of success. Practice is repeated failure in the pursuit of success. That's how you grow up. In God. I remember when I was trying to learn how to use my left hand in basketball. It's not natural for a right-handed person. And, and the only way I could do it was I had to accept the fact that I was going to fail a bunch of times. I was going to try to use it and fail. But after I accepted that and began trying to use it, began practicing, began practicing, eventually I got to the point where it was as natural as using my right. Well, almost. <laughs> and, and anybody's capable of that. The only difference is whether we're willing to practice it, whether we're willing to risk repeated failure in the pursuit of success. Sometimes we quit practicing because it's too hard, too hard on our ego sometimes. But what's harder, playing well without practicing or playing well by practicing? It's really a simple equation. 
I love what G.K. Chesterton said. He said, the Christian faith has not been tried and found wanting. It's been found hard and left untried. And there's great truth in that. Everything is hard if you never practice. But everything can be learned if you're willing to undergo repeated failure in the pursuit of success. And, and notice also what Jesus is calling our attention to in this story. It is the invisible part of you, what he calls the foundation of the house in the story, the invisible inside part of you that sustains the visible part of you. Jesus says, the wise man dug down deep and laid the foundation on the rock. What you don't see is what carries you through the storm when it comes, the foundation that's been created in the heart and mind. Ravi Zacharias tells about lecturing at Ohio State University some years ago, and as he was being driven to the lecture, they passed the Wexner Art Center, a prominent building on the campus of Ohio State. And it's a fascinating building designed on the postmodern philosophy. The building has no pattern, no symmetry. It has staircases that go nowhere. It has pillars that support nothing. It has walls that are just frames without drywall and halls that lead to dead ends. The architect was very hip and wanted to reflect the idea that modern life is mindless and senseless and leads nowhere. The guy was very proud of the question, the, the host who was giving Rabbi Zechariah the tour. And so Dr. Z asked him a question. He said, hey, did they build the foundation of the building the same way? The guy laughed. No, of course not. You, can't, you can do that with the outside, but you can't do it with the inside because everything depends on the foundation. Jesus knows that about you and me. It's the condition of the heart and mind that determines our ability to overcome when the storms come. And what Jesus is talking about here is you and I growing strong on the inside. Church, this is why we are called to discipleship, to constant learning and practicing. Jesus said in John chapter 8, if you hold to my teaching, you're my disciples. Then you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. The holding part means continuing in, carrying out, practicing what I'm saying. Another way to put this is that a want to won't do. <laughs> had a music teacher say that to me in middle school. A want to won't do, because I kept talking about wanting to play an instrument but was never willing to practice. Yeah, a want to won't do, but practice will make perfect. And sometimes it's our attitude that needs the practice the most. Sometimes it's our attitude that can shut us down in a crisis. Our self-pity, our anger, our bitterness. But practicing what Jesus teaches, friends, will supernaturally change your attitude. It will. It's what the Lord is promising. That's what many of us have experienced. I love this story. According to the Associated Press, a New Zealand man named Ivan Segedin got so mad at restrictive traffic laws that he decided to cheat the system. After getting no less than 32 tickets for driving without a seatbelt over a, a period of months, he decided to do something about it. But instead of just clicking his seatbelt, he made an elaborate fake seatbelt that went over his shoulder and started wearing it in the car every day on his commute to work. For a while it worked, he didn't get any more tickets. For two years, he didn't get another seatbelt ticket. But then one morning, a storm came. He was in a head-on collision, not his fault, the fault of another driver. 
But when it happened, he was thrown through his windshield and killed. The coroner said afterwards, it's so dumb. His body was still wearing the fake seat belt. A real belt would have saved him, but a fake one has no chance in an accident. And friends, understand what Jesus is saying here is that a real accident is headed our way. I don't know what it'll look like. Maybe you'll be betrayed by somebody you trusted. Maybe you'll lose someone you love. It happens. Maybe you'll get sick. Maybe you'll get hurt. I don't know what it will be, but Jesus says storms happen. And he says that he wants to build you strong enough from the inside out to overcome them. Listen to him again, Luke chapter 6. As for everyone who comes to me and hears my words and puts them into practice, I will show you what they're like. They're like a man building a house who dug down deep and laid the foundation on rock. When a flood came, the torrent struck that house and could not shake it because it was so well built. So in our last few minutes together, let me just share with you some practical ways to practice. Some ways to not only listen to the Lord, but practice what he says. Just a few simple things. Five minutes and we'll wrap it up. First of all, practice his lordship of your tongue. Of your tongue. Practice his control over what you say and don't say. Proverbs tells us in chapter 13, verse 3, those who guard their lips preserve their lives, but those who speak rashly will come to ruin. When you let God control your tongue, you grow strong from the inside out. You know, I remember being in the Marines and, and they taught us how to not react to stuff. Matter of fact, there was one particular course that we would go to and they would fire live weaponry over our heads and we had to carry on with our duties underneath that fire. And what we learned to do was not to be governed by our reactions. We learned a kind of self-control that allowed us to overcome what was happening. When you practice Christ's lordship of your tongue, that's what you'll experience. Practice also, the second thing, practice his lordship of your money. Jesus put it this way, he said, no one can serve two masters. Either he'll hate the one and love the other, be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. You have to make a choice between them. Those of us who have made that choice, those of us who've chosen to put God in control of our money will never turn back. It's too rewarding, it's too freeing. It makes us too strong, so, so we'll never turn back from it. Maybe you haven't yet. Jesus invites you to do that. Choosing who is Lord of your money is one of the most powerful spiritual disciplines. Jesus talked about it in a straightforward way. Third, practice his lordship of your time, of your time. You know, friends, in this COVID crisis, there is every temptation to set aside the weekly discipline of coming together as believers. But if we do that, we will grow weak in our spirits and unready for the storms that will come. The Bible tells us in Hebrews chapter 10, let us not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but let us encourage one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. The Sabbath day, that, that one day in seven discipline of gathering for worship, whether it's online or in person, that discipline is one of the Ten Commandments. It's deep and serious and, and, and significant in our Father's eyes as He looks at us in His love. He knows we need it. So practice His Lordship of your time. 
The fourth of five is to practice his lordship of your work. Yeah, God says that when you go to work, practice his lordship. What does that look like? Colossians tells us in chapter 3, Slaves, in those days that was a term for indentured, contracted labor. Slaves, obey your earthly masters in everything. Not only when their eye is on you to win their favor, but with sincerity of heart and reverence for the Lord. Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as if working for the Lord, not for men. If you will practice his lordship of your work, God will grow you strong in your heart and mind you will gain the ability to overcome the adversities that are inevitable in our lives. Somebody might say, oh, I don't see the connection. I know, that's why Jesus teaches us the connection so that we can experience that kind of practice his lordship of your work. And then the last one, practice his lordship of your ambitions. Listen to what Peter tells us in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 7. He says, now for a little while, you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. These have come, these trials, have come so that your faith of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, so that your faith may be proved genuine and result in praise, glory, and honor when Christ is revealed. Yeah, it is when we practice His Lordship of our ambitions. We say, God, I don't want to avoid all the trials. I want to grow through the trials. I want to overcome the trials. You know. I've said it before, I'll say it I'm sure many times again. My experience in the Marine Corps taught me one thing I will be eternally grateful for. It taught me that there are adversities that I don't think I can overcome, but I can. That if I will simply embrace and accept the challenge they represent, I can overcome them. I can grow stronger than them. Remember, friends, Jesus teaches us this because he knows what's coming and he loves us so much. Let me, let me finish with a story. On October 23rd, 2019, a man and a woman who had served God faithfully all their lives found themselves in the worst storm that anyone can know. Their son lost his life. Nothing is harder. Which is why God tells us the story of His love for us through the word picture of a father losing his son on the cross. In the wake of that horror, Toby and Amanda Mack, who had lost their son Truett, posted these words in the midst of that storm. Here's what they said. We don't follow God because we have some kind of under-the-table deal with Him, like if we uh, will follow you if you bless us. We follow God because we love Him, because it is our honor. He is the God of the hills and the valleys. He is beautiful above all things. And from the valley of the shadow of death, we pray a flood of thankfulness to the Father of heavenly lights who shines most beautifully in darkness. You know what that is, church? That's power. That's strength. That's a foundation built on the rock. It doesn't mean you don't feel. They're feeling. It means you're able to overcome even in the midst. And Jesus wants that for you and me. 
He wants that strength for us, a soul built on the rock, a marriage built on the rock, a faith built on the rock. He wants to give us that kind of strength. And so he says, it happens if you will practice what I'm teaching you. So let me challenge us as we wrap up. The answer to our, our hunger for spiritual growth is not listening more. Listening's the first step, it's practicing more what he says. God calls you and I to practice in some very simple and specific ways. Because when we experience his lordship, is when we really experience freedom. Let me invite you to pray with me. God, we thank you for your word today. Jesus, we hear your heart for us in these words. God, help us to begin to put into practice what you teach us. Sometimes we fill our heads and we never engage our hands. And as a consequence, our hearts never learn what you're teaching. God, some of us need to begin practicing your lordship of our tongues. Some of us need to begin practicing your lordship of our money, our financial life. Some of us need to return to practicing your lordship of our time, our ambitions. God, teach us to practice what you teach us. We ask for your help, Holy Spirit, in these things, and we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. I'm so glad you joined with us. Now take what we've talked about and just start taking the first few steps of practice. Do it today. God will meet you in it. Now may the love of God the Father, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, and the fellowship of his Holy Spirit go with you throughout this week. Go with God. Tell someone you love.